Fink, and this is the Christagenia Open Forum. It's Monday, March 21st, 2011, according to certain Christian identity pastors. I think I'll call him Captain Fantastic tonight. That's my name for him tonight. We have 18 months left, and, and it's the end of the world on December 21st, 2012. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, because it, it's come up far too many times, and I've never taken an, an official position on it. But I'm going to start off with a reading of some scripture. I'm going to start off reading Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 31, and then some things from Colossians and, and Corinthians, and most of this is going to be off the cuff tonight. It, it shouldn't be too long. And then hopefully we'll spur some dialogue on the topic, but without getting into name-calling or, or um, anything like that. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. And Paul, standing in the middle of the Hilvers, said, Manassanians, I observe that in all respects you are most superstitious. Of course, this is the Christogenian New Testament, right? For passing through and considering your objects of worship, I found even an altar which was inscribed to the unknown God. So that which is unknown, you reverence. This I declare to you. Paul is taking advantage of a, fact, a, a facet of Athenian religion, right? Yahweh who made the order and all the things in it, the order or the world, if we must, he being prince of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hand. Either is he attended by the hands of man, being in need of anything, himself giving to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of men, Adamic men, this is reference to Deuteronomy 32, 8. He made from one every nation of men to dwell upon all the face of the earth, appointing the times ordained and the boundaries of their settlements to seek Yahweh. If surely then he would seek after him and they would find that they would find him. I'm sorry, they would seek after him and they would find him. And indeed he being not far from each one of us. Note here that Paul states that all the other all the nations of men were basically let go by Yahweh to see if he would seek after them. That's that's what he's saying here in, in Acts chapter 17, verses 25, 26, 27. Verse 28. For in him we live and we move and we are, even as some of the poets have said concerning you, meaning the Athenians, for we are also his offspring. And, and I believe that's a quote from Callimachus, is the closest I could find, a, a third century B.C. Athenian poet. Therefore, being the offspring of Yahweh, we are not obligated to be to esteem gold or silver or stone, engraved crafts, and of the inventions of man. 
to be like that of a god. So therefore, the times of ignorance, Yahweh is overlooking. Even the other Adamic families had a stake in covenants with the children of Israel so far as that through Abraham's seed, all of the Adamic nations would be blessed. The first, and, and they'll all be in the resurrection, as Jesus Christ says in, in Luke chapter 11, the first promise of salvation to our race is found in Genesis chapter 3. So we should keep that in mind. It, it's the entire Adamic race who would be blessed through Abraham's seed. Okay. Therefore, being of the offspring of Yahweh, we are not too obligated to esteem gold or silver or stone, engraved crafts, and of the inventions of man to be like that of a god. So therefore, the times of ignorance Yahweh is overlooking. Now altogether he instructs men everywhere to repent, for that he has established a day in which he is going to judge the inhabited earth in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, having provided an assurance to all, raising him from the dead. Talking about Yahshua Christ, of course. The important thing here is that we're not to esteem idols and, and that Yahweh understood that men would go after the false religions. And, and we're going to get to that because we see that God made the race of Adam here set and, and set them out to see if they would seek him. And, and this serves as a testimony to us. And they did not seek him they instead followed after all of the errors of the past, worshipping the fallen angels instead. And the evidence of, of that, that the false religions are, are the worship of the fallen angels, we'll find in Colossians 2, chapter 2, verses 9 through 19. I'm sorry, I'll start working. I'll, I'll start reading at verse 8. Watch that there be no one captivating you through philosophy and vain deceit in accordance with the tradition of men, in accordance with the elements of the society, and not in accordance with Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the divinity bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all sovereignty and authority, by whom you also are circumcised with a circumcision not made by hand in the putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of the anointed. Paul's talking about the circumcision of the heart, what, which was the, the promise to the children of Israel, right? Being buried together with him in that immersion by which also you were raised up together through the faith of the operation of Yahweh who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in transgressions and in the foreskin of your flesh, you he made alive together with him, forgiving us all those transgressions. Paul here is not, Paul didn't talk about the Athenians in this context of forgiveness of sin and transgression in Acts chapter 17, because the Athenians, that they were of the Adamic race of Javan, the Japhethite, they were not Israelites. Paul had a different gospel for them. Paul's gospel to the Athenians was in the context of Deuteronomy 32.8, which we see him quote, right? And, and in the context of that first promise of, of the reaching out to the tree of life and living forever, we find in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, okay, so that's just a side note. Being buried together with him through that immersion, by which you also were raised up together through the faith of the operation of Yahweh who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in transgression. The Colossians were descendants of the Greek tribes that, that had descended from the Israelites and, and from the Romans. 
who he made alive together with him, forgiving us all those transgressions. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having wiped out the handwriting against us and the ordinances which were opposed to, to which were opposed to us, even as he is taken out of the way, nailing it to the cross. That, that's the indictment that we were guilty of, under the law. Stripping the sovereignties and authorities which he exposed publicly. Now Paul's going to con- connect these sovereignties and authorities here in a second. Triumphing over them in it. Therefore no one must judge you in food and in drink or in respect of feast or new month or of the Sabbaths, which are a shadow of future things. Whereas the body, meaning us as individuals, that temple of Yahweh, is of the anointed. The body of Christ is made up of the anointed children of Israel. Let no one find you unworthy of reward, being willing with humiliation, even in the worship of the messengers. That's a very important statement there. In, in Colossians 2.18, stepping into things which one sees, heedlessly inflated by the mind of one's flesh, and not grasping the head, meaning Christ, from whom the whole body, through the joints and bonds, being supplied and brought together, increases with the increase of Yahweh. Now, with that in mind, the, these false religions that the children of Israel chase after is tantamount to the worship of the messengers or the angels, right? That's how that word's translated in the King James Version. Let, let's go to 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And, and I'm probably going to read too much here, right? I mean, I don't have to read all this, but I would like to. Verses 1 through 22. Now, I do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all had passed through the sea. Paul's talking about his father's and the fathers of his audience. He's talking to Corinthians. They are Dorian Greeks. They came from Israel, from the land of Manasseh. They migrated to Crete first, according to Homer, which is an island, right, in, in, at the bottom of the Aegean Sea off the coast of Anatolia. And, and that's about halfway from Palestine to Greece. And, and then from Crete, where Homer places them, they invaded Greece about 1100 B.C., right? Well, when the time of the children of Israel were in the middle of the, um, of the judges' period, at least 100 years before David becomes king. And all had eaten the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of an attending spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. Yet with the greater number of them, Yahweh had not been pleased, for they had been thrown down in a desert, forty years in a desert, for their sin. But these had become models for us, for us not to become desires of evil, just as also they in that place had desired, neither become idolaters, just as some of them, as it is written, the people were seated to eat and to drink, then rose up to play. I, I always thought that, I always pictured the dance floor at a dinner dance, right? When I read that line. Verse 8. Neither should we commit fornication, just as some of them committed fornication. And in one day, 23,000 had fallen. This is a reference, it can only be a reference to, to um, Numbers chapter 25, and the children of Israel being seduced by the daughters of Moab. Neither should we tempt Christ, just as some of them had also tempted, and by serpents they perished. Neither should you mutter, just as some of them had muttered, and by the destroyer they perished. Now these things as examples happened to them, 
and have been written for our admonition to those whom have attained to the fulfillments of the ages. Consequently, he who is expecting to be established must beware lest he shall fall. Temptation has not seized you, except from manhood. But trustworthy is Yahweh, who will not permit you to be tempted beyond where you are able, but with the temptation he will also bring about the way out, for which to be able to bear it. On which account, my beloved ones, flee from idolatry. As to those who are prudent, I speak, you determine that which I say. The cup of eulogy which we bless... Is it not the fellowship of the blood of Christ? The wheat bread which we break, is it not the fellowship of the blood of body of Christ? Paul's not talking about the Catholic ritual of communion, right? He's talking about real communion, which is us, Christian Israelites, in fellowship, sharing our victuals and, and the fruits of our labors with one another. That's what Paul's talking about. The wheat bread which we break, is it not the fellowship of the body of Christ? Because one loaf, one body, we the many are, for we all partake from the one loaf, Christ, out of life. Verse 18. Behold, Israel down through the flesh. Paul is talking about Israel in the flesh here, right? He's talking about the real Israelites, not the Edomites in Judea pretending to be Israelites. He's talking about Israel down through the flesh. I don't see a lot of Jews doing what Paul's about to describe here in the first century A.D. In fact, there were none. Behold, Israel down through the flesh are not those who are eating the sacrifices, partners of the altar. Paul's talking about idol worship of dispersed Israel. What then do I say? That which is sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? Rather, that whatever the nations sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to Yahweh, now I do not wish for you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the prince and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the prince and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the prince, meaning Christ, to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? So where Paul likens idolatry to the worship of demons and talks about the humiliation in the worship of the angels, Paul is really explaining... At the um, the world's false religions, the false religions of the Adamic world, came from the fallen angels. That that's the only explanation for these passages. In Greek, a demon is a lesser spirit, but which is not a a, um, a god. Okay, a demon is a lesser spirit, and and is basically the equivalent of the wicked spirits or the evil spirits, which were often called demons in the gospel. Now, since in Scripture we have the assurance of Yahweh that he chose only to manifest himself to the children of Israel, and, and that can be fully established in the New Testament, and since all the other Adamic nations, as we see Paul explaining that they were all allowed to go their own way, in Acts chapter 17, and they all went off into idolatry, for which the children of Israel were also punished after they had the truth of Yahweh and went off into idolatry. And since in historic times, or, or yeah, you know, the times for which we have records and ancient inscriptions, we see all of these other nations of, of the ancient world worshiping these false gods, I have to, uh, I have to ask, what are the Anunnaki which I see mentioned quite often by certain 
so-called pastors claiming to be Christian Israel identity. What is Nibiru? I'm going to explain these things in brief. These are the tales of a Jew named Zechariah Sitchin, who has taken the ancient inscriptions of the Sumerians and, and the Akkadians, who the Akkadian, Akkadian is the language of the Assyrians, right? And Akkad was their principal city, we see it mentioned in Genesis. It, it was one of their principal cities. He took the language of the Sumerians and the Akkadians and, and conveniences in certain inscriptions, and Zechariah Sitchin, this Jew, created a New Age religion from these inscriptions. The Anunnaki, they, they actually are in the inscriptions, right? They're, they're, they are called the great gods, they're the great gods, but they're nameless. They, they've, they're never given names. They're always referred to collectively as a group. In the Sumerian, the ancient Sumerian inscriptions, there are other Sumerian so-called gods and goddesses that had names, such as Enlil and Enki. And, and Enlil was the chief god of the Sumerian pantheon. And, and actually, Enlil was said to, determ to determine the fate of newborn gods or deities and and by that we see that in Sumerian times the Sumerians imagined that the gods were still being born when I talk about Sumerian times I'm talking about from, from, from roughly from 3000 BC to 2000 BC in, in ancient Mesopotamia and in, in the land around ancient Babylonia that that's Sumer and and that was the southern part of Mesopotamia the land between the rivers the the more northern part was what was actually Assyria, and Assyria was the, um, what were the, you know, Nineveh and, and um, Akkad were, and, and that's where Akkadian, the Akkadian language prevailed later on, in the same alphabet, cuneiform. The Biru, the Biru oft, is often called Planet X, and, and the, it's the um, chief subject of the Jew Zechariah Sitchin's book, The Twelfth Planet. Nibiru as a planet does not exist. The word indicates, actually, literally, a crossing or a crossing point. And it's used in astronomical descriptions, but it also has a wide range of uses in other contexts, such as um, to describe fords across a river or, or gates and, and it, where one crosses through a wall or crosses through a stream, and, and that's what a Nibiru is literally. However, Nibiru was also used to describe in, in Sumerian astronomical texts, and these are no mystery to us. I mean, people have been studying these for 150 years, right? It's also been used to describe, in, at times, it, it's been used as a reference to the planet Mercury. It's been used as a reference to the planet Jupiter. And, and we clearly understand from the context of these texts what the word Nibiru is being used to describe. And, and it, it, it even at one point refers to a certain star. In another place it's used as, the, as, as an epithet for a god whose name was Dengir. These uses are all well recorded. There's a, um, the University of Chicago published many years ago a very famous Akkadian dictionary, and, and um, it's, it's very thorough, it, it's almost like a concordance of cuneiform inscriptions, and, and these things are, are um, very well known and been studied for a long time. Now, everywhere the word Nibiru appears in the ancient, in the actual ancient texts, 
Sumerian manuscripts that Zechariah Sitchin claims to be an expert in, it certainly cannot refer to a twelfth planet beyond Pluto as Zechariah Sitchin describes it. It's very clear from the Akkadian texts that Nibiru is also clearly described as being seen by the Sumerians throughout all their texts in their, their entire period, every year, not just once every 3,600 years. I would postulate that Nibiru is used in all these different contexts because it designates a crossing point, a planet that's, that, that's you know, crossing points of the planets and, and their rises and, and their descents were the way that the ancients marked the seasons, the way that they... Um, way that they knew when to plant, or knew when the harvest was near, or knew when winter was near. They didn't have clocks back then, right? That they used, and, and the Greeks and, and the Phoenicians always used the, the rise of the constellations, and, and the rises and descents and, and courses of the planets to mark their calendars. That, now that's um, because... I'm postulating that Nibiru is used in all of these different contexts because it designates a crossing point. However, that speculation on my part requires further study. It is certainly clear that Sitchin abused the meaning of the word Nibiru everywhere it appears to create a new religion. That some strange planet would approach, and, and the first date he claimed was 2003. In a 3,600 year interval, it would approach the Earth in 2003, and, and if that's if that's true, then its last crossing is, thir- is 1600 BC, and we don't have any record of it in the Bible, and, and that would be just before the time of Moses. And, and now that 2003 has passed, the um, false proponents, that the proponents of these New Age religions that that were um, that, that grew out of these Zechariah Sitchin books, they've they've come up with a new date for Nibiru. It's not 2003 anymore because it came and went and Nibiru didn't come. The new date is 2012. Does that sound familiar? What I want to know, that, yeah, you know, the Anunnaki are ancient idols, basically. Nibiru, it is a, an abortion and the creation of the Jewish mind of Zechariah Sitchin and, and certain Israel identity so-called pastors have mentioned the Biru and the Anunnaki in, in many of their emails over the last several years. And this is um what are these people what what are these people doing pushing these that these false religions and in, in the Christian Israel identity? What are their motives? They they have to be examined. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. We should examine these things. And and it gets worse than this. I'm gonna look at um if we look at Clifton Emma Heiser's website, the first six pages of, of the book, The Twelfth Planet, is on that website. Zechariah Sitchin also makes another, another um, he, he makes up another wild story, and, and I'm going to call it a wild story. I'm going to read from parts of pages 43 and 44 of the Zechariah Sitchin book entitled Divine Encounters. A point that is usually ignored, I'm quoting Sitchin, which we find highly significant is that all through the narratives concerning man's creation, the Garden of Eden episode, and most intriguing, in the story of the birth of Cain and Abel, the Bible refers to the human as the Adam, a generic term defining a certain species. That's not entirely true, Zechariah. 
Only in chapter 5 of Genesis that begins with the words, this is the book of the genealogies of Adam, does the Bible drop the article, the word the. That's not true because it appears in Genesis 1.26 without the article, right? It is only then that it starts to deal with the specific forefather of human generations, but significantly, this listing omits Cain and Abel and proceeds from the person called Adam straight on to his son Seth, the father of Enosh. That's not ent entirely true either. Seth is a replacement for Abel. And it is only for Seth's son Enosh that the Hebrew term meaning human being is employed. For that which is what for that is what Enosh meant, he who is human. To this day, the Hebrew word for humankind is Enosh ut, that which is like that which stems from Enosh. The link between the biblical narrative and its Sumerian origins emerges most interesting in this name of the son of Adam, Enosh, whom the Bible considers the real progenitor of humankind, as it came to be in the ancient Near East. But we're not even Adam, according to Sitchin. We're Enosh, but that's okay. Uh, I think he's just confused. I'm going to keep reading. The list of months of, and the, the gods associated with them, known as 4R33, it's a designation to a Sumerian manuscripts, begins with Nisan as the month associated with An and Enlil, the first month of the Assyrian Babylonian year, lists next, the next month IR with the notation Sha Ya Bel. Tenishti, that of Yah, E-A, it's spelled, Lord of Mankind. The Akkadian term Tenishti has the same meaning as the Enoshut in Hebrew, which is derived from the Akkadian. The Akkadian term in turn was parallel in the Sumerian by the term Azalulu, which, which can be best translated as the people who serve. And, and that's, I think Sitchin's really stretching it there, right? I'm going to skip a, a couple of sentences. It is in respect to Enosh that the Bible states, Genesis 4.26, that this, it was in his time that humankind began to call upon the name of Yahweh. I'm going to skip to the next paragraph. Well, well, no, I'll finish this paragraph. It must have been an important development, a new phase in humankind's history. For the Book of Jubilee states in almost identical words that it was Enosh who began to call upon the name of the Lord on earth. Man has discovered God. So that is Zechariah Sitchin's exclamation. Who was this new human Enosh man from a scientific point of view? Was he the progenitor of what we call Neanderthal man, the first true Homo sapiens? Or was he already the ancestor of Cro-Magnon man, the first true Homo sapiens, sapiens that still walks the earth as the current human beings? Cro-Magnon man, so named after the site in France where his skeletal remains were found, appeared in Europe some 35,000 years ago, replacing there the Neanderthal man, so named after the discovery of the site, at, at the site in Germany, who can be traced there to 100,000 years ago. But his skeletal remains discovered in recent years in caves in Israel reveal Neanderthals were migrating through the Near East at least some 115,000 years ago, and Cro-Magnons had dwelt in the area already 92,000 years ago. Where do the Adam and Eve, the first created human beings, and Adam and Eve, the progenitors of Seth and Enosh, fit into all that? What light do the Sumerian king and the Bible shed on this issue, and how does it all correlate to modern scientific discoveries? And the bottom line is that Zechariah Sitchin connects Pro Magnon Man and Adam. And it's all straight nonsense. 
And it's all absolutely anti-scriptural. And, and Zechariah Sitchin does worse than that. He claims that the Anunnaki created these men to be good slaves for them. So, so we weren't even created by Yahweh. We were, we were created by these um, the fallen angels. Well, well, let me tell you something. Uh, I believe there are men here created by fallen angels, but they sure as hell aren't Adam. And, and I believe that um, the, the Cro-Magnons had a role in, in, in world history, but they sure as hell aren't Adam either. And in fact, they very well might be the fallen angels. But I'm not going to interpret my Bible through the, the lens of the Jew Zechariah Sitchin, because the Bible says that Adam was the son of God. Luke 3.38. Adam wasn't the son of Og. He was the son of God. That's all I have to say about that topic. There are no intermediary, intermediary parents between Adam. Paul told the Athenians that we are the children of God. And he told them, as your own poets have said, which is true. So, that, that's my, my opinion of Nibiru, which is a fraud. The Anunnaki who are ancient pagan idols, and, and we were warned about even having their names on our lips, and the idea that Adam came from Cro-Magnon man. This is an open forum. If anybody has anything to say, and, and, or if anybody wants to discuss this topic, or any other topic, or if anybody wants to discuss the, um, the Revelation program, or programs that I've been doing, you're more than welcome to do so. Well, we don't have to stay on 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 this Anunnaki Nibiru topic. I just had a uh, I get inquiries about this uh, this garbage all the time. It doesn't belong in Christian identity. Nibiru, the Anunnaki, and especially the idea that Adam came from Cro-Magnon man, which first belonged to the Jews, Zechariah Sitchin. These that these things don't belong in Christian identity. But, I mean, we don't have to talk about that. We could talk about anything else if anybody has anything to say. And, and this is an open forum. With, without, um, without participants, we can't have an, an open forum, right? Clifton. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I, I just thought I'd unmute your microphone just in case you wanted to say something. Well, I was listening to everything you said, and uh, I'm in agreement. <clears throat> Yeah, it just gets old. I, I hate beating a dead horse, but um, I, I never really um, took an official position on these things. And, and, and here's, my, my, here's my position so that people aren't confused. Well, I really didn't take a position until a man with new, na new, new names started bringing it up. Well, well right. It, it has to be taken. I'm getting some feedback from you, Clifton, if you could please um, adjust your sensitivity or something. Hello, RP. Hey, hi. Can you hear me? Yes. How you doing? Yeah, I, as soon as I found out uh, Sitchin was involved, you know, I, I looked at that when that book first came out. And um, to make um, Adam, Adam and uh, Adam Kind uh, a uh, primitive knuckle-dragging, uh, or any implication of that, I, I, I crossed that off my list quite quite some time ago. Yeah, it has to be, and, and I don't know, I get emails and inquiries here about it. I went to one of those meetups, um, you know, they, they have these guys that are meeting around the country concerning the Constitution, collective bargaining, you know, and, and these folks are very, very, uh, they're good folks, they're, they're all Israelites in there, and, um, but they do, do not have a clue about anything. So, sorry, I'm bringing up a little different topic. 
Oh, well, no, nah, that's okay. You can change the topic. I, I mean, we don't have to beat, beat a dead horse, right? Uh, I just had to get that off my chest and, and in a nutshell, that's all. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's just uh, when you go out and talk to the regular folks that uh, do not have a understanding of the Scripture, these people are, um, you know, professing uh, God and, uh, you know, doing the right thing. And they had a, a young woman uh, talking in the front, and she was a lawyer. And um, a couple of the folks asked some constitutional questions. And I'm not a constitutional uh, expert. And uh, after the, uh, I, I got there late because I had to work. I asked her, I said, uh, you ever notice that they don't refer to us as a republic anymore, just a democracy? I said, well, yeah. She didn't have a clue. She was a young woman, about 30. And I said, well, I said, do you, do you think that might have to do with the bankrupt, the first, there's been four national bankruptcies think might have something to do with that you know she didn't she didn't even know about the bankruptcies she didn't she knew that we had a national debt she didn't know that you know all the bankruptcies and here she is a you know person that's been trained in the law profession of course we know what jesus had to say about the lawyers don't we <laughs> absolutely they're, yeah, they're trying, you know, there's a, a group of, you know, 30, 40 people trying to understand what's going wrong with the country. A lot of these times I'm going to get a chance to say, hey, who's the national debt owed to? And, you know, people say that to me and they'll go, China. I said, oh, really? Well, who was it owed to 10 years ago? They don't know what to say. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a good way to at least get them thinking. But, well, right. The whole debt thing is a scam. I mean, the Chinese yeah. print up. That they put, invent money from thin air and and use it to buy American bonds that were printed off that they're only worth the value the paper's written on and and that's not much once they're printed right and and yeah. that, then that 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 money is used to give to the Jews who now hold um, so many millions of dollars of Chinese money. Oh yeah, they're they're enslave they're using us to enslave the Chinese and the Chinese don't know it. They don't understand that when you create money from thin air and give it to somebody, that money is really debt. Yep. That money's debt. It represents debt. That, that currency Monetized represents debt. debt. It doesn't represent value. Yep. If, if you create a dollar and hand it to me, well, when I bring you back that dollar, you've got to give me something for it. You owe me something for it. It's debt. Yep. It's absolutely crazy. It, it's a vicious circle. The, the Jew is playing a game, and, and people don't understand how money works, and, and, and they get caught up in a trick. Yeah, I always tell them, you know, I've worked, I've worked uh, since I've uh, been 12, 13 years of age. I've worked, and I, I've yet to be paid. Uh, <laughs> they look at me, so I've never been paid. Uh, well, it's a sad thing. It's nice to see everyone in here. I, I've been busy doing five in this uh, system and care of my children. And well, well, right. It's it's um diff you're in a difficult situation. I I don't want to press you yeah. for information yeah, about it, I'm but sure. I I hope that you're doing better with it anyway. Yeah, I'm working on it. Working on it. You know, the um, thing is, uh, our duty is to to reach out to brethren. Uh, you know. Send out the word of God and the word of truth, and it'll fall on um, you know the good the good soil will hear it. Well, well, right, absolutely. It, it it even if they hear it and they don't understand it, and and they um sometimes they don't they they'll think about it, they put it on the back burner. Something else comes up next year, and they go, well, that's what that guy was talking about. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, that's the way it works. It, it, yeah, you're planting a seed that might ring a bell in their heads two years from now. Yeah, there's yeah. no doubt. And and I've talked to people here that that have had basically that experience, what where they've come around that they they remember hearing something that there's one gentleman his um his daughter comes here right and and they're just the salt of the earth mm-hmm. she's not here now so i could talk about her that they're just absolutely wonderful people but well this man was a baptist minister for 30 years mm-hmm. and he heard something from, from who's that clown that talks about the giant steve quail steve quail i think he's a clown i i think he he's just yeah. off base on a whole lot of stuff right uh, and, yeah, and steve quail Steve Quayle said something, and, and this guy checked his Bible out and thought about it and realized Steve Quayle was right about it. And, and he, he, he went from that, he, he found Israel identity, and, and then he found two seed line, and, and he's, after being a Baptist pastor of churches for 30 years, and, and he put his kids through Bible school, Bible college, his daughter went through Bible college, and... and he 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 told her everything and and she became um convinced and they're fully and and they're not it's not any of the identity people that I know that have convinced them that they convinced yeah. themselves just reading a little on the internet and and measuring it up to their scripture and and it all made yeah. sense and and you don't yeah. know where that seed of awakening is going to come from right but in this case it came from Steve Quayle I <laughs> I mean wow. maybe he's doing something right right. <laughs> That's just incredible, but it does happen. And and things that you say to somebody now that you don't know, yet we are supposed to be Yahweh's witnesses. That's paramount in in our existence here on the earth at this moment. I mean, Yahweh doesn't need us to defeat his enemies. He could just crush us all, right? I mean, there's no that yeah. there's no doubt about it. But we are supposed to be his witnesses, and and that's not only to to the um. His enemies, but also to to his people who who were still entranced by his enemies. This is for our benefit. It's not for his, right? Right. Oh yeah. Well, he uh, cares. He loves his children. Um, I uh, a few years ago, or a couple of years ago, I I went into a men's uh, <clears throat> store, and this gentleman uh, weighed on me in his seventies. Gosh, uh, how old are you? You know, and he said, Oh, I'm seventy-two. Oh. How long you been in this? It's only a couple of years. I, uh, I, for 50 years, I was a Baptist minister, and I said, "No kidding." And I and I asked him. I said, "Did you did you uh, preach out of the uh, Schofield Reference Bible?" He said he proudly announced, "Yes, for 50 years." Then I asked him about Revelation 2 9 and 3 9. His eyes. He. I said, "What do you think that means?" <laughs> and uh, I provided him with some. I don't know if it was Cliff stuff and. Couple something, and um, next time he saw me, he said, "Well, don't you think God can, uh, out of bad, you know, produce good?" Well, you know, all things are possible with God, but generally He doesn't use bad for good. But uh, so I dropped off something else, and uh, he um, got, he got in trouble. I got him. I didn't mean to drop something off, and he had a supervisor there, and I think that supervisor might not have been Irish. <laughs> you know. Oh, you didn't mean to do it, but but no, uh, no, no, no. I dropped off uh, something, and you know, and uh, but here's a man that taught scripture fifty years, and I can tell you, he was a good man. Didn't see, he didn't have that love of truth. He um, he didn't keep looking at the scriptures. 
But well, right. He just—I mean, sometimes pastoring is just a job to people, right? It's a comfortable living. Yeah. They don't care about the scripture. That they're steeped in psychology. That that yes. they, they talk to people from from the um, perspective very often. That they don't talk to people from a biblical perspective. Not the priests. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of contact in my life with, with active Protestant ministers because I was raised a Catholic. But the um, all the priests I ever met. It, it it was that they 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 were psychologists. They weren't they weren't um, men of God. They they weren't men of Scripture. Yeah, they were. They're just trying to soothe your guilt tangs. Right. They're just trying to assuage you and 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 get you into a certain behavior pattern that that's um, amenable to their careers. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I was working at this uh, one business and. And uh, there was this 84-year-old Catholic priest. So I started asking him questions about the scriptures. He never went there. We were always directed away from those parts of the Bible. And uh, I, I, I'm just constantly amazed. You know, the grammar school, the Catholic grammar schools that I went to, they had Bibles in the pews. I, I don't ever remember seeing them opening them. I don't ever remember opening. That they were the pew Bibles, right? The hard covered backs with right. really heavy books. That they were they were actually pretty decent. They had about six or eight different colored ribbons in the spine of each one. And I never remember ever opening one. And through my entire grammar school period, if you'd asked me to find something in one, it would take me all day. I swear, because we never learned even where anything was. We never opened Bibles. But we had a catechism that we learned out of in, in um, oh, yeah. second and third Catholic. grade, and, and by fifth grade, that was it. I had Catholic friends that uh, told me all about it. I grew up with a lot of Catholic uh, neighbors, the only Holy Roller. That's what they called me, the Holy Roller. <laughs> I was raised so strict, Bible as a little boy, <clears throat> that uh, I, uh, I just... I was uh, I was a goody two shoes till, gosh I guess my sophomore year I was I didn't do anything around me you didn't pick on anybody you didn't talk about anybody God help you if you used Lord's name in vain around me I got in a fight with him right then night focus I, I hate to tell you but I was just the opposite <laughs> we'd have been fighting <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh, I I lost a few times I. Majority, I I was probably like uh, over my school years about thirty three and three. <laughs> I didn't lose much, very fast. Oh. But uh, the big guys is the ones I had trouble with. I remember fighting this kid Willie Wood. Willie was about six three, about two eighty. He he beat me up, but he didn't want to fight me again. Even if he did beat me up again, he I never I just gave up. You know, back then uh, we didn't fight to kill the other guy. We you know, you punched him, you broke noses, and you did all that stuff. You didn't, you didn't, still didn't, I didn't still hate him. It just, we're fighting, you know. Well, well, when I was a kid, we fought all the time. We fought, we beat yeah. each other up all the time, but we loved each other the next day, or, or at least we respected each other. The kids you didn't respect are the ones that didn't fight, or, or that ran and told. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I never told anybody, you know, I just, oh, well. I can still remember the days when two guys could have a disagreement in the barroom and take it out back and then buy each other a beer. I mean, today there's lawyers and cops and all kinds of stuff involved immediately. It's it's a sick, litigious society. Yeah. Well, you know, three-quarters of the world's uh, lawyer population is in the United States. 
Well, well it's funny. I, I, one of the leaders in the conspiracy against Adolf Hitler amongst his generals, I, I noted last night, was, a, um, was an international lawyer named Moltke. Hmm. Strange name. So, so we see the M-O-L-T-K-E. So we see the lawyer well, was chief among the sellouts, right? Never trust a lawyer. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Never. Yeah, I'm going through that right now. I, I tell you what, he's not working in my interest. Oh, no, not, never. And, and on a side note, my program from last night still is not available from TalkShoe for download. It's crazy. How do I? I don't know. Something's wrong with TalkShoe. I'll, I'll redo the program. If I, don't, I can't really redo it because a, a third of it was off the cuff, I bet. But I'll end up redoing it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I uh, I just think that uh, the, the, they're sissifying a lot of our kids, seems to me. I'm making them all sis. You know, not all of them are. I, I guess that's being too critical. But and maybe I'm glorifying uh, my youth. The kids are – it doesn't seem that there is um, – well, maybe these assets are. I know when I was a kid, you know, everybody was fighting all the time. <clears throat> And we're, I was fortunate. I didn't grow up with a lot of um, non-Israelites. I grew up uh, primarily white Christian society. Yeah, I grew up in, in, in an Anglo-Irish neighborhood that we always had to fight off the, the Negroes from across the, the other side of the road, right? We didn't have to do that. They didn't come up. Now they're up there. Oh, yeah, well, now gosh. the Negroes won the whole city, right? We grew up and moved out, and they took the whole damn city over. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's yeah, not it's the whole nice. city, but the, the parts yeah, that aren't. Inhabited by the Negroes are inhabited by Latinos, Hispanic, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Filipinos. I uh, I did uh, I broke uh, a, a Bill Fink rule the other day. What's that? I went to a movie. Went to a movie. And That's a horrible thing. <laughs> I know. Wait a minute. You cannot believe how horrible this was. It was the most antichrist movie. I have, of course I haven't been going to as many movies, but I thought I'll take Rachel. It looked like it was a kind of a cute stupid um, science, you know, comedy about a space alien called Paul. No, you just, cut, yeah, you just cut her skull open and just pour a can of trash into it. No, no, she saw right through it. Oh, Mark, Mark says, shame on you, bro. Let me, tell you, let me tell you what this movie was about. Uh, the, the guy that they tried to show as the bad guy was the Bible-believing father of a woman that he feels they've been abducted by a demon which is this uh, intergalactic being and these two guys and and the the, the we get ended up getting up and leaving uh but rachel saw enough and she and i said rachel uh what, what do you think and she said only good guy and that he tried to make him out the bad guy what she said what man wouldn't grab his shotgun get in his truck to go save his daughter uh, perceived as being abducted. You know, I mean, that's what she said. And she said, in all that uh, bad language, she said there was no reason for it. It wasn't funny. And basically, um, they were pushing that the fact that she believed in Jesus Christ, this lady, um, uh, that she was uh, crazy. And then the alien healed her. She had a deformed eye from youth. And he healed her. And later on in the movie, uh, he was a Christ figure, uh, uh, saving this other guy that got shot. And, you know, it was just god-awful. I, I, it taught me a lesson. Um, and, uh, but it allows me to at least tell you guys, they, they, do, they never let up. Everything they do is work against the, God's creation. 
Right, everything they do. They're, they're father of the devil, right? They're, they're liars just like him. And, and they want to seek to um, yeah, corrupt seek to God's Christ. creation. That, that That is encoded into their DNA. Corrupt people want to see everything else is corrupt. Well, they're corrupted. And I think uh, they, subconsciously they, they, um, they want to reduce everyone else to their same legal standing. They know they don't have a right to leadership. So, um, you know, they, they, that's why they trace their lineage through their mother's side instead of their father's side because they couldn't reveal their father's side. But well, there's an old and very true Greek saying, and this is from the tragic poets. I forget which one, but the bastard is always a bane to the true born. And, and that is huh. absolutely 100% true. Why isn't that the truth? I've quoted it on programs. I forget where. Jude or Hebrews or something like that. Yeah, the bastard is a bane to the pure blood. Always a bane to the true born, right? There's, I forget the exact wording, but it's it's a translation of the Greek anyway. But it's 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 just like that. Hmm. Well, I think that's the reason they they, they push everything is that uh, they're trying to prove that they're every bit as good when deep down inside they're smart enough to know that that isn't the case. Well, I believe that that. Yeah, you know, it's the um, it's the same exact fabric, and it's part of their DNA, but it's the same exact fabric of that original rebellion against Yahweh is to want to form the earth after your after your own model, right? That in, in Yahweh's creation wasn't good enough, we could do this better, or we could corrupt this and, and that. And, and, and it's the same thing they're doing right now with genetic engineering. Right. They're putting fish genes in tomatoes to make better tomatoes. How the hell could that make a better tomato? It's not even a tomato anymore. Wait a minute. I saw a tomato swimming down the river the other day. I believe it. Uh, <laughs> and, and where you live, I have no problem. <laughs> and with gills. <laughs> but, well, that's it. They, they continually want to recreate Yahweh's creation in their image. But man was created in God's image. And everything should be kind after kind. Well, well, they, they, yeah, you know, I, I really believe that everything is is done with divine premonition, and and that that's why. I mean, that that statement, kind after kind, is is so frequent in the book of Genesis. And it's in there ten times in the first couple of chapters, or eleven times in the first couple of chapters. Kind I after kind, cry. everything after its kind. Yeah. A question for you. Uh, a show I was listening to the other day, they were bringing up, they had this idea that Rebecca was inseminated um, just like Eve was by a... Um, a oh, well, that's a bad idea, right? Because yeah, I there's, I, I've heard that before in Identity. It, it's a bad idea because there's no basis for it in Scripture yeah, whatsoever. What yeah, God just foreknew that he was going to marry the out, outside his family. Well, right, and we just have to come to grips with the fact that all Adamites or any Adamite can, can do that. You know, we all we're all sinners, right? To one degree uh, or another, we're all sinners. Well, that's for sure. And the people that attribute I first ran into that when I first got into identity, and I rejected it then. The people that want to make that attribution refuse to believe that a pure Adamite can sin. And we're told exactly the opposite. Oh, yeah. He said, uh, you're all like uh, uh, lusty horses neighing after one another's wives. Shall I not be avenged? 
But well, right, exactly. But these people that they're of the mindset, and I've met people like this. In fact, Ralph Daigle, an identity pastor in Michigan, an old friend of mine, he's one of them. He's up there in Clarkston, Michigan, and and he's one of them. He he wants to he he wants to put blinders on and think that every girl that's seen with a Negro must have some Jew in her. That's why she's with a Negro. And every young man that that commits murder or does this or does that, he must be part Jew. That's why he commits those crimes. Oh, that's crazy. But, well, right, it's yeah. crazy. He's basically, yeah, you know, they get this idea that Adamites can't sin. And, and we're the principle of sinners. I, I mean, I'm sorry, we're the only ones well, that could sin, right? But, yeah, we're but, the only ones that can sin because we're right, the only ones under the law. Under the law, right. But but that we sin all the time. It's horrible. I, yeah, I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> but, well, right. You know, but I, I think there's inclination by Adamites. We have a genetic uh, disposition to move towards the good and towards him, but we still have um, weaknesses, especially uh, the more we interact with the world. Well, well right, and, and the Jew is the eternal panderer. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, right? I, I mean, look, yeah. Hitler explained oh, yeah. it very well in Mein Kampf. Yeah, you know there were problems in Germany, and and but when the Jew moved in, it was off the hook. It was pornography and syphilis all over the place, and dirty books and and homosexuality, filthy movies, filthy theater, and, and none of this existed. We have sin in our society, but we don't have pornography and and prostitution and all that. And, and when we do hear about it in an all-white community, it's a horror. Yeah. It's a horror. Yeah. Can't believe it's happening. You go to some little farm towns out in the Midwest and talk about some of those people, will be, they'll be shocked. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's another reason we that we're susceptible is because we basically think that a lot of these other folks think like we do, and they don't. And it's hard for us to imagine... Well, you know something that, that you got to be up close and personal with them to see how they think. And, and most of white people, I, I see it all the time up here because well, where I live now, uh, I mean, I came from Jersey, from from Jersey City, right? And always being where I was a white, my, whites were the minority my whole life, right? I, except when I was maybe a very young child, but um. I have experience with all of these beasts, and, and I come up here, and, and my cousins, that they don't know any of them. You know, they don't know yeah. one, some of my cousins. Never well, met one. They, they see one or two in town, but they don't know them. And, and the, well, one, here, the, the ones that are up here are on the best behavior, right, because they're not exactly. in the ghetto downstate. Well, yeah. well, they project their own culture and way of thinking in society onto the, these other people, because they don't know any better. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I've had some interaction, but the ones that I've had interaction with are usually uh, many times high yellow, have a lot of um, a lot of uh, Adam, uh, uh, gene uh, gene um, improvement, and 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 there there is a you know, and of course that's given our genes a lot of credit, but uh, there seems to be um, you know that situation. All I know is this: is that uh, we're commanded to be separate, and um, that's absolutely. And that's you know I get upset in the first place because if you think that we need a gospel to the other races, you've already failed. Yeah. 
you know, you've already failed. You don't need them at all. You don't need to be telling them anything. You don't have to go around telling them they're all going to be destroyed. You don't have to do that. But um, I can't wait to get to Revelation chapter 19, and, and I'm, I'm going to spell that out. But you don't have to go advertising that to, to the other races because you shouldn't be talking to them in the first place. We're supposed to be separate. Yeah. Come out from among them. Yep. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn around you. And these people that that are, I don't know if it's because they're caught up in commerce, that they don't want to offend people. But, you know, he who is ashamed of me and my words, so shall the Son of Man be ashamed of. And when, when... yeah, you know, before before my father and the angels, that, that's what he says. Well, there's another quote that sometimes I rely on. It's uh, it's an evil time, and the and the uh, prudent will be quiet. There's times to be quiet. But well, right. I'm not going to walk down the street and every yeah. beast I see say, "Oh, God's going to kill you." I know the date. It's December 21st, 2012. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm going to leave that all up to the big guy. Um, well, right. I, I usually generally tell people that I, I, if I don't know that they could take it or not, you know, because most people can't take it out there in the world. If they ask me what about these other races, I say that they, I know what about them, but I don't tell them, oh, oh God's going to come kill them all. I, I just try to tell them that if they need milk and not meat, the, the, the closest yeah. I'll get to um or, or the furthest I'll, I'll go with them is to tell them that they don't matter one whit. Yeah, what they're I not in the covenants. They're yeah, not in the promises. It doesn't matter what happens to them. That's exactly what I say. I say they're not party to the contract. Right. You know, not, uh, as I, I don't know if it was Clifton that said it or it was somebody used to say. Not everyone gets in with two box stops and 50 cents. Right. Well, my slogan when I do Revelation chapter 19 is that there aren't going to be any bus tickets for Mexicans back to Mexico, right? (laughs) What about the uh, division? Um, That's it. Not that I don't want to uh, on that subject too much, and I'm going to have to go on a little bit. But when when it says that all the people will be forced to go back to their... um, their uh, own countries. No, no. It says that yeah. in Isaiah chapter 13, it says that. Talking about ancient Babylonia. An ancient oh. ba- Babylonia. It's not in the context of the future mystery, mystery Babylon. It's talking, not all of those prophecies have a dual fulfillment. Okay? It's Isaiah chapter 13. is talking about ancient Babylon and the destruction of the ancient Babylonians. And it's, you know, ancient Babylon was a cosmopolitan city. Who was in it? Persians were in it. And Medes were in it. And Syrians were in it. And the Judahites were in it. And and some Kenites and Edomites were also in it. And it's talking about the destruction of Babylon and and the the people, you know, the Persians... Came and, dis- and, and they didn't really destroy the city. They took it over and, and destroyed a lot of the Babylonians. But, but they basically, um, when the, it says that those people will be forced to go back to their own cities. That's not talking about mystery Babylon in the future. I, I quoted on an open forum here. I quoted Psalm 136, I think it was. I, I'm going to dig it up on my website if I could find my browser. Let me go get this um, this. Oh, I ended up on the wrong website. I don't know my way around my own website. No, Gerald. I, I guess. Yeah, Gerald's um, 
He may have just got knocked off, and maybe he'll be back, or maybe he left. I don't know. He's another one with a bad connection. Hey, let the Israelite, all Israel shall be saved. One Corinthians and marital relations. Here we go. Psalm 137.9, I'm going to read. Psalm 137. Oh, Psalm 118. Why do I have Psalm 137.9 in the title? I'm going to read Psalm 118, 10, 11, and 12. Now, now this is a messianic prophecy, all right? It's definitely a messianic prophecy. If you read a little further on, and you read um, verse 21, it says, I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is Yahweh's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This psalm is quoted by Christ, right? It's recorded like four times that he quoted this psalm. It's in all the Gospels, right? Or at least three of them. Okay, well, verses 10 through 12 of this psalm, they state this. All nations have compassed about me, but in the name of Yahweh will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yeah, they compassed me about, but in the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees, they are quenched as the fire of thorns. For the name of Yahweh, I will destroy them. I put that together with um, the all the nations that go up to fight the children of Israel at Armageddon, right? That, that's the battle we're in. Yeah, well, I think that uh, there's no doubt about it. We're encompassed. They're, they're bringing them in our midst. They're the, the wicked bird, birds in our in the tree. But well, the wedding supper of the Lamb is all about the total destruction of all of the beasts that invade Israel and Judah, and that's all those nations that have encompassed us about. And I'm going to take that when I cover Revelation chapter nine in a couple of weeks. That Psalm, Revelation 19 which happens to have a lot of the same language in it that Ezekiel chapter 39 has, and Jeremiah 31, um, 27 to 30, and put it all together. And that's basically the best I could do with the Revelation chapter 19 show, because that's what it's talking about. I'll look uh, forward to it. Hey, uh, I'm going to get going. Okay, RP, thank you, and, and thanks for stopping, and thanks for talking. I hope some more people want to talk on, on this open forum, because it is an open forum, and, and it's... It's easy to get people here and hard to get them to participate. <laughs> Thanks, RP. Praise Yahweh. Okay, if anybody wants to talk, let me know because um, I don't have a whole lot to say, right? I, I, I'm about talked out. It's a uh, guest one. If um, guest one, that's funny. Um, Christ had royal bloodlines. He was from the royal tribe of Judah, right? He was a descendant of David. I, I guess that's what she was talking about. But which she was right, but it's genetic. Right? I mean, that proves it's genetic. It's not just who God picks to be king. Hello, Robert. Hey, I got something that's not much, really, but there's two uses of the word Canaanite in the New Testament pertaining to uh, Simon Peter. Well, right. There's two uses of the word Canaanite, and it's not Canaanite in any of the original manuscripts. Okay? It's not. It's Canaanian. Please check my translation and you'll see that. And, and that can be readily proven from, from the um, Nestle Aland Novum Testamentum Grece or an examination of the Codex Sinaiticus or, or any of the ancient, there's a couple of ancient papyri too. It's Canaanian. Simon the Canaanian was from the city of Cana, which was a city in Galilee. 
okay? And, and later scribes replaced Canaanian with Canaanite. And the words are very close in Greek. They really are. But the, the um, Canaanian doesn't have a T in it, right? But Which is the first clue. They're spelled slightly different, but that's the biggest difference in the spelling. Well, well, Cana was the city in Galilee where Christ turned the water into wine, right? And that's where, that's where Simon was from. In the original manuscripts, it's Simon the Canaanian. He was a man of Cana, Galilee. Now, the Canaanite in the Old Testament is, is, is correctly translated. Well, well, just about everywhere in, in the Old Testament, yeah. I mean, I can't speak for every occurrence. It's probably in there a thousand times, right? Cana was simply a, a city in Galilee, and that's where, that, that's where that Simon was from. He's called Simon the Canaanian. That would be spelled C-A-N-A-N-E-A-N. Is that it? Anybody want to talk? Let me know. Come on, this is an open forum. We need some participation here. Or I'm just going to have to um, cut it off at a lousy hour and 15 minutes. I remember these things used to go five hours. What happened? Uh, I'm sorry, Robert. Canaanites only in 14 verses. Is that it? Wow. I would have thought it was in a lot more verses than that. You could use the K, too, and add some more. I don't think Canaanite appears in the King James with, with a... Um, isn't Kenite the same as Canaanite? Oh, Kenite is not the same as Canaanite. A Kenite is a, is a patronymic from the word Cain. And, and it really is a different word, right? With, with a different spelling. It, it's in Hebrew more so than, than in English. A Kenite comes from, Kenite comes from the word Cain. And Canaanite comes from Canaan, the son of, um, the son of Noah, the, the son of Ham. Okay. Now Canaanite, the word Canaan has about a column and a half in Strong's Concordance. That's probably about, um, uh, it's at least 200 entries. Canaan, Canaan is, a, is a column, and Canaanite is about two-thirds of a column, and Canaanites is a... Yeah, you're right. It, it's in, in here a lot less than I thought. I don't know exactly how many times well, I had to bring up Bible words. The Hebrew Canaanite, it's a merchant trafficker. Well, you know something? The word Canaanite came to mean merchant. Okay? It, it okay. became synonymous with merchant. And, and it's used in some contexts in, in that manner. Yes, that's true. And, and my Bible works just crashed. Also with Ishmaelites, mercantile caravans. The Bible works program just crashed. It's out to lunch. It doesn't run that well on, um, on Linux. It usually yeah. runs better than this, though. I'm trying to start another instance. That might just crash my whole computer. <laughs> There's one thing about Windows that eSword works good on Windows. Yeah, well, BibleWorks works fine on Windows, but I don't run Windows. I, I use Linux, and I have it running in, in the um, Wine, the, the, in, the, the Windows interpreter for that you could run Windows programs in Linux. I have Bible Analyzer here also. I think I have another. I can't even find the search in this program. It's a strange program to me. You want me to call up Bruce Gorman and see if he can come and join us? Oh, well, if Bruce isn't, I'm sure he'd be here if he was awake or if he didn't have to, to work or, or what whatnot, right? I don't want to bother him if he's not here. If he could be here, I'm sure he would be. It's if, if we don't get any participation here, Martin41 wants to speak. I didn't see you there, Martin. How you doing, Martin? He must have wanted to speak for a while because he gave up on me. Guest one, you know, there's papers on Christogenia. 
I'm going to give you links in the chat. There's a, there's a couple of papers. One of them is a concise history of the creation of the Jewish people. It, it's as short an explanation I could get of who the Jews are historically, that they're basically the Edomites of the Old Testament. That, that's well recorded in history. And, and then there's another paper on my site called The Antichrist for Dummies. And, and if somebody wanted to know who the Jews were, they are the two papers that I would try to get them to read. Jews are not okay. Judah. The Jews are really Edomites, and some of them are mixed with Judah. Couldn't you say? Excuse me, Robert? They've never really had a successful civilization that produced much of anything. Oh, right. They've infiltrated everybody else's civilizations, the Canaanites. Edomites are a branch of the Canaanites. Yes, guess one. The, the Edomites, it, it's well recorded in Ezekiel chapters um, 35 and 36. It's in the Bible. And, and it's mentioned, it's intoned, in, it's inferred in Malachi chapter 1. And, and it's, it's, Malachi chapter 1 is quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 9. And it's in the history of Josephus in many places that the Edomites were in Judea and Edomites had taken over the kingdom of Judea. Herod the king was an Edomite by blood. Josephus mentions that four times. And there's also John Hyrcanus. All of the Edomites were converted. All of the Edomites that took over the ancient land of Israel and Judah in Ezekiel, when Ezekiel, the ones Ezekiel wrote about in chapter 35 and 36, but while they were converted in 130 B.C. to Judaism by the Maccabees, people in Jerusalem, under the command, under the rule of the Maccabees, the high priest, Hasmonean dynasty. But those papers explain it. Which they cite, they cite the history. I tried to write it as short as I could because I know that most people today don't like to read anything long, and I, I just tried to make the point at, as briefly as possible. Concise history of the creation of the Jewish people. Yeah, which is why when Christ showed up, you had corruption of the two high priests. One. Warrior well, priest, somebody else asked me about that same scripture today. I think it has its ancient application when the Israelites... <laughs> Destroyed the um, destroyed the Assyrians. But if my Bible works wasn't crashed, I, I might pull it up and comment on it. Where is that? Do you know? It's in Micah. I know it's in Micah, but is it Micah five, Micah six, Micah seven? The spelled principle, the wrong principle. Micah five five. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now let me say that the, um, the context of the book of Micah is the Israelites in captivity in Assyria, right? But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That, that's talking about Christ. Therefore he will, will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Now if we look back at Micah chapter 4, she that travaileth it is actually, I'm, I'm going to go back, have to go back and read that. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Israel shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it. Now, I believe that this is talking about the eventual establishment of our nation, right? 
of the United States. I really do, and I have good reason for that. I've explained that on several programs. I explained it when I did um, Revelation chapter 12 program just a couple of weeks ago, my commentary for Revelation chapter 12, and I explained it back on the 10-10-10 programs I did with Eli, that all-day marathon, October 10th, right, What where I, I did the um, a series on the Christian founding of America, right? Micah 4, verse 2, And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh, and under the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. I believe that describes the founding of this nation, which is from many of the other Adamic white nations. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, of course, where we're not there yet, right? And their spears and pruning hooks, nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of Yahweh of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk in the name of his God, and that's what goes hand in hand with what I talked about in, in Paul in Acts chapter 17. All the other Adamic nations went off in, after their pagan idols. And we will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, forever and ever. In that day, saith Yahweh, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out. This is talking about the regathering of Israel in Europe. I will assemble her that halteth, and I will regather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant. In other words, the people that didn't go very far away from Palestine, that settled in Eastern Europe or, or in Mesopotamia, they became a remnant, okay? And her that was cast far off, a strong nation. The, the further our people moved away from the place of their captivity in Assyria, the stronger a nation they became. That, that's very evident when you look at our history in the Ukraine and then in Germany and then in England and now in America, right? So that makes perfect sense with history. I will make her that halted a remnant and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And Yahweh shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. That's talking about us. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Meaning that the kingdom of heaven shall come to those people who were taken out of ancient Palestine. Okay, and, and that's our promise. Now why dost thou cry aloud, is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. So we see that that, that Revelation 5.5 5 is talking about the pangs that have taken Israel as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion. That's Micah 4.10. Like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city and shalt dwell in the field. In, in other words, they'll go out of Yahweh's presence. And thou shalt go even to Babylon, what, where the people in Jerusalem were eventually brought, right? Well, so that's ta definitely talking about the people of the, deport uh, of the deportations, right? And that woman in travail, it, it, it was painful for the, um, the ancient Israelites and the people of Judah to become 
Uh, I mean, they had to deal. They had to deal with their captivity by the Assyrians and Babylonians, and and then they had to deal with migrating out of the lands with, without any of their possessions and and rebuilding. A, a nation anew, and, and that was a long migration into Europe. That's what is expressed by that woman in travail. So when we read Micah 5.3, therefore he will give them up until the time that she who travails has brought forth. In other words, has left Mesopotamia, that's the way I looked at it, and began to establish new nations on the other side of the Caucasus Mountains. And the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed the strength of Yahweh, and the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be greater than the ends of the earth, and this man shall be the peace when the Assyrians shall come into our land. So this is talking about those, those deportations. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then we shall raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Now, let me say that, and, and here we go, verse 6, right? And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Now the Assyrian came into the land of Israel. The Assyrian took all the Israelites captive. And this happened between um, 741 and 676 B.C. And in 612 B.C., Assyria was destroyed. And the people that the Greeks called Scythians were the people that destroyed Assyria in conjunction with the Medes and, and the Persians. And, and the, the Medes and the Persians were in league with the Scythians when this happened. Now, the Scythians are the children of Israel of the deportation. That's the literal fulfillment of this passage in Micah. The Assyrian came into their land, they took them all captive, and then... Seven princes, we don't know who they are, but there were men raised up amongst those Israelites of the captivity, and those people destroyed all the cities of Nineveh to 612 B.C. In, in 612 B.C. And Assyria was gone. There were still some Assyrians left in the land of Mesopotamia, but Assyria was gone. In 606 B.C., the Babylonians became the leading tribe of Mesopotamia, and the Book of Nezar started to conquer the known world all over again. Because the Israelites, most of the Israelites didn't stick around after Assyria was destroyed. Most of the Israelites had um, started started to cross across. They started to cross Anatolia, and it's recorded right after that time by Homer, the poet, and he lived right around 600 and wrote right around 600 BC, and it's recorded in, by archaeologists. And other historians that it was the Chimerians, the Chimeroi, that's the Khamri of the Assyrian records. They're the same people as the Scythians. It's just a different name for them. They destroyed Phrygia and, and threatened um, Ionia, the ancient land of Javan, and Lydia, and, and moved into Europe. That's when that happened, 600 BC, ten years after Assyria was destroyed. That's the first wave of our Scythian Israelite ancestors into Europe. So that's a fulfillment of Micah chapter 5. It's, it's over there, right? I mean, I, I would have to study the text to see if it, it, it has a context, but I'll tell you what, you know, these people that are coming into the lands of Israel now, they sure as hell aren't Assyrians. And they have no cities to lay waste. They're laying our cities waste. 
But I would say that Micah chapter 5 is fulfilled in, in 612 B.C. Well, Compare thought that the... Um, that the Assyrians, uh, I mean, the Assyrians haven't existed in, in 2,000 years. Uh, I, we're, we're, we're covered right now with Ashkenazi Jews and Mexicans and, and all kinds of other races, but none of them are Assyrians. Uh, none of them are Assyrians. But right, guess one, you, you know, my concise, uh, you know, when you start talking about the Jews, my, my paper, Concise Explanation of the History of the Jews, you, you know, you, you want me to take a, hist a paper that's supposed to be a purely historical paper and, and add scripture to it, which can be interpreted many different ways by these freaks, that these dispensationalists that want to pervert the Bible, right? Uh, I, the paper is supposed to be purely historical, and that's why those... I mean, I know they're excellent passages from from a Christian viewpoint, but they're, they're and and they do help cement the point. You're right, but my paper is meant to be purely historical, so that's why I didn't put those things in it. If you really want to um to see the scripture from a New Testament re religious scriptural viewpoint, there's another paper on my site. It's actually Appendix B of my Christogenian New Testament, and it's called um, The Devil and Satan. And that's the entire, to me, that's the best I could do. That's my entire religious argument that proves 2C line. And it's one of the appendixes to my New Testament translation. So you might want to check that out. That's the entire, that's the religious argument, right? I just put the link in the chat. That's the religious argument as opposed to the historical argument, which is in the concise explanation of the history of the Jews. So I got history papers on my site and religious papers. I try to keep the two separate. The religious, the, the historical proofs of, of migrations and tribes sh should stand alone, and that way people can't um, point a finger and claim that it's religious interpretation, right? Thanks. So warrior priest, that's my argument for why, um, yeah, you know, the, why Micah 5.5 5 is in the past. It, it's, it makes perfect sense in, in light of Scripture and history, and, and that there just ain't no Assyrians anymore. And, and nobody can claim that those Arabs over there are Assyrians. They're not Assyrians. They're all Arabs. <laughs> okay, this is an open forum. I mean, I need some participation, um, uh, some verbal participation here. It's, I, I can't run my mouth all night. If anybody has anything to say, I'd, I'd appreciate it if, if they um, let me know to turn the microphone on so, so that they could chime in. Yeah, I was just going to back up what you were saying before as far as the, it was during the time of John Hyrcanus that the Edomites came in and chirped the, uh, the Israelites. Right, it was. It, well, well it was, the Edomites were always there. Edomites were there from the time of Ezekiel, from the time that the children of Israel were deported. As Ezekiel chapter 35 says, that the Edomites would make these two countries and, and these two lands to be ours, they moved up into, from the ancient land of Edomia, which was actually south of Jordan, they moved up into the whole um, southern portion of the lands of ancient Israel, which were... Um, all of the, the bottom, probably half or two-thirds of, of the ancient land of Judah, uh, along with the coastal regions, which I, belong to ancient Israel, that they moved up into all those lands and, uh, and possessed them. Gaza, 
Yes, that they possessed that, that entire region. And, and I'm sure that they moved in with Canaanites and perhaps a remnant of Israelites that managed to escape the, the deportations. There were some of them. And, and um, they took over those lands, the ancient Edomites. And, and that's the 5th century, 6th century B.C. they were doing that. Now, the um, in 130 B.C., or thereabouts, right, maybe 125 B.C., John Hyrcanus decided that he was going to go out and conquer these people and force them to convert to Judaism. And that is what he did. And Josephus records that they were given an ultimatum to either die, convert, or leave by John Hyrcanus, and, and that they all happily converted, and from that point on were known as none other than Jews or Judeans in, in the Greek is what he used, right? So, so that was from 130 B.C. Or, or, or roughly, maybe 125 B.C. It's, it's hard to pin down the exact date all the time. I think I got 125 B.C. penciled into the margins of my copy of Josephus. Eli estimated it to 121 B.C. It don't really matter that much, but it, it was around there, right? Uh, Eighty years later, Herod became the king. Herod became the king probably about 37 B.C., and his father was a very influential merchant, a very rich man, and a general in, in the army, and, and probably because of his wealth. And, and he really, um, the, the Maccabees were already pretty weak uh, of character, and, and he really had a lot of influence in the Hasmonean court. And he had his two sons appointed as the governors of, of Jerusalem. That was his son Aristobulus, I think or Antipas, maybe, was his name. And Herod became the governor of Galilee. He was barely 20 years old when he became the governor of Galilee. I think he was more like 16. And his father, the general, had him appointed the governor of Galilee. That, that's how, how decadent the, the Hasmonean court had become, right? And eventually Herod killed his own brother and, and bribed Mark Antony. 900 talents of silver got made king of, Ju king of Judea by 37 B.C. Now, wasn't there something that they didn't want to give him full power to his son? Well, Herod Archelaus, he had full power at first, but he was a screw-up. He was a real tyrant, and they, and they took him out of it. And that's when they made the Tetrarchy and, and split the kingdom up into four pieces. And, and that happened between 6 and 10 A.D., I think, in, in there. We were talking about the uh, the protocols earlier. That was kind of interesting that that was actually, it was, I had always thought that it was written in, in Russia. Apparently, it was uh, it was picked up France out of a, a Masonic lodge, purchased by a Russian intelligence officer from a uh, from a Jew. Jew. But what is this that you're talking about? The uh, the the uh, the protocols. Yeah. That they were actually purchased by a Russian intelligence officer from a um, Masonic Jew in, in France in Paris. Back in the 1880s. Okay. Well, well, I believe that it's their plan. It's the plan that's dispersed in all the synagogues. I, I think all, all the rabbis probably have a copy. It, it's it's come true. I mean, if it, it, it can't be a fraud because it, it's been the um, the Jewish the the and Jewish the, uh, program for 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 Christendom all through time. And the Jew who sold it. Into, ended up being up dead in Egypt. Yeah, well, they've been promoting it for for um all of those that entire platform, all of those provisions in in the protocols have um 
definitely been pushed and, and shoved down our throats by these Jews. That there's no doubt. That there's no way that it's a, that it's a fraud. And, and even Henry Ford saw that 80 years ago. And, and he said that the protocols couldn't be a fraud because, um, because they've come true. And, and he saw that a, a, hell of a, while, a hell of a long time ago. Now, Michael brought a, 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 a fact. He said that, that Ford was putting copies of, of, uh, of the International Jew on the, on the front seat of the, of the Fords that he was selling. Yes, that's true. That, that's I've I've read that in in um, several sources. That's true. actually in glove compartment. Yes. Huh. And, and you know Henry Ford's um the editor for the Dearborn Independent, um W J Cameron William J Cameron he wrote an identity book. You know, it, it was kind of like British Israel material, but he wrote something called the Covenant People. It, it was one of the first identity books I read. And how was he connected Ford? He was the editor. He he was the editor of the Ford Independent. Yeah. He was a Ford insider, definitely. definitely. In fact, he came out and said that Henry Ford never never recanted the um the international Jew. But he never apologized for it. That's a Jewish lie. But they they got the, they own the Fords now. I mean the Fords are nothing but whores for the Jews now. That they that they've um ever since the days of Etzel Ford, the, the Fords have been sellouts. Never seems to fail. And always chooses mammon over How the God. hell does that happen? They, I'm sorry? They got, they, they, they got Anisha within one one generation? Yes, they did. How the heck is that believable? Well, well, that's the pattern. I mean, everybody in our race, when, when we're given something, we're take, we take it for granted. People, when they earn it, that they take care of it and they nurture it. And, and when, when you're given something, it, it don't matter if it was your father's or not. Pe- people, when they come into wealth, it, it just they take it for granted. And they want to hold guess, on to it. Guess one was saying that that was uh, mentioned how the Jews now control the Ford Foundation. They probably use it to uh, to push uh, push miscegenation and. and but, well, the Ford Foundation has funded the liberal agenda, the Jewish agenda for for this nation. It, it's been funding it for seventy years. I would bet since World War II. I'm no expert on the history of the Ford Foundation, but I know that they've they've gone right in lockstep with the Carnegie Institute and, and the Rockefeller Foundation to fund all kinds of vile, anti-white, anti-Christian um, programs. You read about them now and then in the papers, but but yeah, they they've um, Henry has probably been rolling in his grave for, for um, since at least pro- probably the 1930s. Or mid forties, I'm sure, and that's a damn shame because he was a brilliant man that that, that was very effective at resisting the, the Jews. Same thing with the Hershey Foundation. Uh, I mean, Milton Hershey built up this this chocolate factory in this in this small town in Pennsylvania, and, and built this this great huge business out of it, and and he actually willed the Hershey Company to his foundation and and the Hershey School. And the Hershey School was specifically and explicitly for white children only. And about 20 years ago, and I read about it in the Wall Street Journal, I think in prison. It may have been 15 years ago. I read about it when I was in prison. I was reading the Wall Street Journal and how the Ford, uh, I'm sorry, the Hershey Foundation's board of trustees took the foundation to court to get that will broke. And and the judge let him do it. 
claiming there weren't enough white kids that wanted to go to school for free, but which was all a lie, I'm sure. You just weren't trying hard enough. Uh, Kike Judge. But, well, I, I don't know who, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if you look down the list oh, of, um, if you look down the list of foundation trustees, they were probably all Jews. Uh, I mean, they took the foundation to court and got the will broke. And it's absolutely appalling. And the judges went along with it. And now the school is filled with little Negroes. As Cheryl lives out a couple hours from there. Not even, maybe, maybe half an hour from there. The Jew has um, perverted just about every foundation that ever existed in this country. Carnegie Institute's been perverted by the Jews. The only reason why they couldn't pervert the Rockefeller Foundation is because it started out that way. Yeah, I think Rockefeller was... Well, if nobody's watching the sheepfold, the wolf is guaranteed to get in. There's going to be somehow he's going to get in there. There's no doubt. Well, if anybody wants to say anything, please be my guest. If not, I'm probably going to have to cut this off sooner or later on. I mean, I can't sit here and and think of something to talk about all night. I'm about out of topics. The program from last night, I have no idea why it's not up. And, and Sword Brethren should probably contact TalkShoe and complain because I really want to preserve that program. I'm kind of disappointed I ain't, haven't been able to post it yet. Yeah, there was something interesting that, that came up right before they, they did the attack. No, actually, the first barrage of missiles in Libya. They, they were talking about how defiant... Gaddafi was against the how he wasn't going to uh, give in to these uh, Christian states attacked by. So uh, that was in Bloomberg News. In fact, it's it's Tykes. Oh, absolutely. And, and he knows damn well who it is. Gaddafi has to know who it is. He he has to know it's not Christians doing that to him. Oh, yeah, he's known for years. As a matter of fact, he come, like I think it was uh, six seven months ago when he made a speech at the UN. He, he was attacked. I think the U.S. representative ended up walking out. I'm sure the the whole operation was probably CIA and Mossad right from the beginning. Uh, I would bet. Yeah, they they figured that they let the uh, the their you know, their uh, ground troops go in and act like the the uh, the rebels. They weren't making enough progress. That's when they decided to call in the big guns. Yeah, that, that Libya stuff pissing me off. Guess one says he says Al Qaeda was attacking him. Rebels. Well, yeah. That's probably who the who Al Qaeda is. Is Jews? Yeah, they talk about how over in Iraq and Iran, or excuse me, Iraq and Afghanistan, how uh, how you, they never see you know the the you know they never it's never any gun battles that it's always you know either a, you know, a sniper or the majority of the time it's just a bomb going off. And you know those bombs were probably made in in uh, Haifa or or Tel Aviv. That they could blow up, blow up our troops. Name of the game is destruction of the white race. I guess Obongo is in Brazil right now, probably on vacation, probably resting up for the end of March Madness. Watch ball with all his homies in the in the Oval Office. Well, if nobody else has anything to say, I'm going to end the program. I, I mean, it's been almost two hours. It's close enough. But we'll get some participation on this program sooner or later, right? I'll have to start on. Recruiting people to come here and ask silly questions or something. I sure as hell can't pay them. Okay, thanks everybody. This is William Fink and this is the um, Christiani Open Forum. Praise Yahweh and good night. Mm-hmm.